Book six, chapters seven and eight of the Antiquities of the Jews, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Huckabee. The Antiquities of the Jews, volume two, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book six, chapters seven and eight. Chapter seven. Saul's war with the Amalekites, and conquest of them. Now Samuel came unto Saul, and said to him, that he was sent by God to put him in mind that God had preferred him before all others, and ordained him king, that he therefore ought to be obedient to him, and to submit to his authority, as considering that though he had dominion over the other tribes, yet that God had dominion over him, and over all things, that accordingly God said to him, that because the Amalekites did the Hebrews a great deal of mischief while they were in the wilderness, and when, upon their coming out of Egypt, they were making their way to that country which is now their own, I enjoin thee to punish the Amalekites by making war upon them, and when thou hast subdued them, to leave none of them alive, but to pursue them through every age, and to slay them, beginning with the women and the infants, and to require this as a punishment to be inflicted upon them, for the mischief they did to our forefathers, to spare nothing, neither asses nor other beasts, nor to reserve any of them for your own advantage or possession, but to devote them universally to God, and, in obedience to the commands of Moses, to blot out the name of Amalek entirely. So Saul promised to do what he was commanded, and supposing that his obedience to God would be shown not only in making war against the Amalekites, but more fully in the readiness and quickness of his proceedings, he made no delay, but immediately gathered together all his forces. And when he had numbered them in Gilgal, he found them to be about four hundred thousand of the Israelites, besides the tribe of Judah, for that tribe contained by itself thirty thousand. Accordingly, Saul made an eruption into the country of the Amalekites, and set many men in several parties in ambush at the river so that he might not only do them a mischief by open fighting, but might fall upon them unexpectedly in the ways, and might therefore compass them round about and kill them. And when he had joined battle with the enemy, he beat them. And pursuing them as they fled, he destroyed them all. And when that undertaking had succeeded, according as God had foretold, he set upon the cities of the Amalekites, and besieged them and took them by force, partly by warlike machines, partly by mines dug underground, and partly by building walls on the outsides. Some they starved out with famine, and some they gained by other methods. And, after all, he betook himself to slay the women and the children, and thought he did not act therein either barbarously or inhumanly, first because they were enemies whom he thus treated, and in the next place, because it was done by the command of God, whom it was dangerous not to obey. He also took a gag, the enemy's king, captive, the beauty and tallness of whose body he admired so much, that he thought him worthy of preservation. Yet was not this done, however, according to the will of God, but by giving way to human passions, and suffering himself to be moved with an unseasonable commiseration, in a point where it was not safe for him to indulge it. For God hated the nation of the Amalekites to such a degree that he commanded Saul to have no pity on even those infants, 
which we by nature chiefly compassionate. But Saul preserved their king and governor from the miseries which the Hebrews brought on the people, as if he preferred the fine appearance of the enemy to the memory of what God had sent him about. The multitude were also guilty, together with Saul. For they spared the herds and the flocks, and took them for a prey, when God had commanded they should not spare them. They also carried off with them the rest of their wealth and riches, but if there was anything that was not worthy of regard, that they destroyed. But when Saul had conquered all these Amalekites that reached from Pelusium of Egypt to the Red Sea, he laid waste all the rest of the enemy's country. But for the nation of the Shechemites, he did not touch them, although they dwelt in the very middle of the country of Midian. For before the battle, Saul had sent to them, and charged them to depart thence, lest they should be partakers of the miseries of the Amalekites. For he had a just occasion for saving them, since they were the kindred of Ragel, Moses's father-in-law. Hereupon Saul returned home with joy, for the glorious things he had done, and for the conquest of his enemies as though he had not neglected any thing which the prophet had enjoined him to do when he was going to make war with the Amalekites, and as though he had exactly observed all that he ought to have done. But God was grieved that the king of the Amalekites was preserved alive, and that the multitude had seized on the cattle for a prey, because these things were done without his permission, for he thought it an intolerable thing that they should conquer and overcome their enemies by that power which he gave them, and then that he himself should be so grossly despised and disobeyed by them, that a mere man that was a king would not bear it. He therefore told Samuel the prophet that he repented that he had made Saul king, while he did nothing that he had commanded him, but indulged his own inclinations. When Samuel heard that, he was in confusion, and began to beseech God all that night to be reconciled to Saul, and not to be angry with him. But he did not grant that forgiveness to Saul which the prophet asked for, as not deeming it a fit thing to grant forgiveness of such sins at his entreaties, since injuries do not otherwise grow so great as by the easy tempers of those that are injured, or while they hunt after the glory of being thought gentle and good-natured, before they are aware they produce other sins. As soon, therefore, as God had rejected the intercession of the prophet, and it plainly appeared he would not change his mind, at break of day Samuel came to Saul at Gilgal. When the king saw him, he ran to him and embraced him, and said, I return thanks to God, who hath given me the victory, for I have performed everything that he hath commanded me. To which Samuel replied, How is it, then, that I hear the bleating of the sheep and the lowing of the greater cattle in the camp? Saul made the answer, that the people had reserved them for sacrifices, but that, as to the nation of the Amalekites, it was entirely destroyed, as he had received it in command to see done, and that not one man was left, but that he had saved alive the king alone, and brought him to him, concerning whom, he said, they would advise together what should be done with him. But the prophet said, God is not delighted with the sacrifices, but with good and with righteous men, who are such as follow his will and his laws, and never think that anything is well done by them, but when they do it as God has commanded them, that he then looks upon himself as affronted, not when any one does not sacrifice, but when any one appears to be disobedient to him, but that from those who do not obey him, nor pay him that duty which is the alone true and acceptable worship, he will not kindly accept their oblations, be those they offer ever so many and so fat, 
and be the presents they make him ever so ornamental. Nay, though they were made of gold and silver themselves, but he will reject them, and esteem them instances of wickedness, and not of piety, and that he is delighted with those that still bear in mind this one thing, and this only. How to do that, whatsoever it be, which God pronounces or commands for them to do, and to choose rather to die than to transgress any of those commands. Nor does he require so much as a sacrifice from them, and when these do sacrifice, though it be a mean oblation, he better accepts of it as the honour of poverty than such oblations as come from the richest men that offer them to him. Wherefore take notice that thou art under the wrath of God, for thou hast despised and neglected what he commanded thee. How dost thou then suppose that he will respect a sacrifice out of such things as he hath doomed to destruction? Unless perhaps thou dost imagine that it is almost all one to offer it in sacrifice to God, as to destroy it. Do thou therefore expect that thy kingdom will be taken from thee, and that authority which thou hast abused by such insolent behaviour, as to neglect that God who bestowed it upon thee? Then did Saul confess that he had acted unjustly, and did not deny that he had sinned, because he had transgressed the injunctions of the prophet. But he said that it was out of a dread and fear of the soldiers, that he did not prohibit or restrain them when they seized on the prey. But forgive me, said he, and be merciful to me, for I will be cautious how I offend for the time to come. He also entreated the prophet to go back with him, that he might offer his thank-offerings to God. But Samuel went home, because he saw that God would not be reconciled to him. But then Saul was so desirous to retain Samuel, that he took hold of his cloak, and because the vehemence of Samuel's departure made the motion to be violent, and the cloak was rent. Upon which the prophet said, That after the same manner should the kingdom be rent from him, and that a good and just man should take it, that God persevered in what he had decreed about him, that to be mutable and changeable in what is determined, is agreeable to human passions only, but is not agreeable to the divine power. Hereupon Saul said that he had been wicked, but that what was done could not be undone. He therefore desired him to honour him so far, that the multitude might see that he would accompany him in worshipping God. So Samuel granted him that favour, and went with him and worshipped God. Agag also, the king of the Amalekites, was brought to him, and when the king asked how bitter death was, Samuel said, As thou hast made many of the Hebrew mothers to lament and bewail the loss of their children, so shalt thou, by thy death, cause thy mother to lament thee also. Accordingly he gave the order to slay him immediately at Gilgal, and then went away to the city Ramah. Chapter 8 How upon Saul's transgression of the prophet's commands, Samuel ordained another person to be king privately, whose name was David, as God commanded him. Now Saul, being sensible of the miserable condition he had brought himself into, and that he had made God to be his enemy, he went up to his royal palace at Gibeah, which name denotes a hill. And after that day he came no more into the presence of the prophet. And when Samuel mourned for him, God bid him leave off his concern for him, and to take the holy oil, and to go to Bethlehem, to Jesse, the son of Obed, and to anoint such of his sons as he should show him for their future king. But Samuel said he was afraid lest Saul, when he came to know of it, should kill him, 
either by some private method or even openly. But upon God's suggesting to him a safe way of going thither, he came to the forementioned city. And when they all saluted him, and asked what was the occasion of his coming, he told them he came to sacrifice to God. When, therefore, he had gotten the sacrifice ready, he called Jesse and his sons to partake of those sacrifices. And when he saw his eldest son to be a tall and handsome man, he guessed by his comeliness that he was the person who was to be their future king. But he was mistaken in judging about God's providence. For when Samuel inquired of God whether he should anoint this youth, whom he so admired and esteemed worthy of the kingdom, God said, Men do not see as God seeth. Thou indeed hast respect to the fine appearance of this youth, and thence esteemest him worthy of the kingdom, while I propose the kingdom as a reward, not of the beauty of bodies, but of the virtue of souls. And I inquire after one that is perfectly comely in that respect. I mean one who is beautiful in piety, and righteousness, and fortitude, and obedience, for in them consists the comeliness of the soul. When God had said this, Samuel bade Jesse to show him all his sons. So he made five others of his sons to come to him, of all of whom Eliab was the eldest, Aminadab the second, Shamal the third, Nathaniel the fourth, Rael the fifth, and Assam the sixth. And when the prophet saw that these were no way inferior to the eldest in their countenances, he inquired of God which of them it was whom he chose for their king. And when God said it was none of them, he asked Jesse whether he had not some other sons besides these. And when he said that he had one more named David, but that he was a shepherd and took care of the flocks, Samuel bade them call him immediately, for that till he was come they could not possibly sit down to the feast. Now, as soon as his father had sent for David, and he was come, he appeared to be of a yellow complexion, of a sharp sight, and a comely person in other respects also. This is he, said Samuel privately to himself, whom it pleases God to make our king. So he sat down to the feast, and placed the youth under him, and Jesse also, with his other sons. After which he took oil in the presence of David, and anointed him, and whispered him in the ear, and acquainted him that God chose him to be their king, and exhorted him to be righteous, and obedient to his commands, for that by this means his kingdom would continue for a long time and that his house should be of great splendour, and celebrated in the world, that he should overthrow the Philistines, and that against what nations, soever he should make war, he should be the conqueror, and survive the fight, and that while he lived, he should enjoy a glorious name, and leave such a name to his posterity also. So Samuel, when he had given these admonitions, went away, but the divine power departed from Saul, and removed to David who, upon this removal of the divine spirit to him, began to prophesy. But as for Saul, some strange and demoniacal disorders came upon him, and brought upon him such suffocations as were ready to choke him, for which the physicians could find no other remedy but this, that if any person could charm those passions by singing and playing upon the harp, they advised them to inquire for such a one, and to observe when these demons came upon him and disturbed him, and to take care that such a person might stand over him, and play upon the harp, and recite hymns to him. Accordingly Saul did not delay, but commanded them to seek out such a man. And when a certain stander-by said that he had seen in the city of Bethlehem 
a son of Jesse, who was yet no more than a child in age, but comely and beautiful, and in other respects one that was deserving of great regard, who was skilful in playing on the harp, and in singing of hymns, and an excellent soldier in war. He sent to Jesse, and desired him to take David away from the flocks, and send him to him, for he had a mind to see him, as having heard an advantageous character of his comeliness and his valour. So Jesse sent his son, and gave him presents to carry to Saul, and when he was come, Saul was pleased with him, and made him his armour-bearer, and had him in very great esteem, for he charmed his passion, and was the only physician against the trouble he had had from the demons, whensoever it was that it came upon him. And this by reciting of hymns, and playing upon the harp, and bringing Saul to his right mind again. However, he sent to Jesse, the father of the child, and desired him to permit David to stay with him, for that he was delighted with his sight and company, which stay, that he might not contradict Saul, he granted. End of Book 6, Chapters 7 and 8 Recording by Paul Huckabee